Welcome to the School of the Forest podcast, episode seven. Welcome to the School of the Forest podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Russell. This podcast aims to educate you about outdoor living skills, give you a first-person approach to wilderness ecology, and provide you with a glimpse into the different methods people are using for sustainable living. To find out more about our programs, please visit schoolofthefarce.com. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I know it's been a while since we... Uh since we did one of these, we had a, a long season up in northern Maine, but now that we're back for the winter, we need, want to uh, start recording some more of these and get some more cool information out there. So I'm joined today by Nick Daniel from Dartmouth-Hitchcock. Um, recently, he and some of their other fellows were out and did a sort of quick and dirty survival course with us, and we got to talking about survival psychology and all the stuff that they're doing with wilderness medicine. and. We thought it would be a cool thing to bring Nick on the podcast and uh, have him tell us a little bit about what they get up to over at Dartmouth. How are you doing today, Nick? Hey, great, Christopher. Uh, doing great today, and uh, thanks for inviting me to, to be on the podcast today. Yeah, not a problem at all. So uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and give us a little background on how you got into all this kind of stuff. Yeah, great. Um, I guess where to start, I meant I, I won't start from the beginning, but um, I'm a Midwest transplant overall. Um, I grew up in Iowa, Minnesota. Um, I was born on the North Shores of Minnesota, I think. So I think that's where kind of uh, my interest in the woods and the wilderness probably comes from. But um, we're doing at Dartmouth right now, we're running a, a wilderness medicine fellowship. And the path to that basically is it's a, it's a post-medical, uh, post-graduate medical education pathway. So I did, uh, I went to medical school in Iowa and then um, I did residency at Nebraska Med in Omaha. And then I decided to shift paths a little bit, and uh, I discovered that wilderness medicine was a career pathway in emergency medicine. So I went out to Bay State Medical Center in Springfield, Mass., uh, for a wilderness medicine fellowship, uh, which is great. Um, it's all about lightning, hypothermia, frostbite, mountain medicine, expedition medicine, all that kind of stuff. And I stayed on there for four to five years as the associate fellowship director. And then uh, I heard that Dartmouth was opening uh, and starting up a wilderness medicine fellowship, which um, honestly had been on my radar as a, a perfect location for a fellowship for a few years. And, um, you know, just uh, with the area and the opportunity, I just decided to head up here and help run that fellowship. Um, so yeah. right now, go ahead. Uh, right now, basically, and what that fellowship is, is um, anyone that's done their medical education and done emergency medicine uh, residency after that you have the option to do a postgraduate year and that's kind of what we're doing right now we have our first fellow who was at the survival training with the school of the forest with us several other people with our fellowship and um, a couple of residents who are interested also yeah that's awesome so what is uh so if you finish your uh that residency thing as a wilderness medicine with mm -hmm. through the program what does that look like for somebody once they're done career-wise yeah, I mean, it's, um, uh, and I think outside of medicine, it's a little hard to tell how the whole structure in medicine kind of goes, <laughs> you know, like uh, cardiology, gastroenterology, those are subspecialties of internal medicine, and you become a cardiologist, but in emergency medicine, we have 
our fellowships, um, toxicology, ultrasound, wilderness medicine, they're more of like niches where um, we can get some additional training and in, in something that pertains to our career. And I saw I saw wilderness medicine as a great way to do emergency medicine and also have the kind of things I like to do outdoors as part of my actual career rather than just being indoors and doing um, your typical emergency medicine. So you can go different, a lot of different routes with it. I, you know, I'm in the academic side, so I help stay on and I'm helping lead a fellowship now some people go private medicine and they'll they'll just do expeditions on their free time or teach advanced wilderness life support um you know go on trips as the trip position a whole bunch of a whole bunch of things like that but it's pretty pretty far reaching there's a pretty big overlap with travel medicine and um you can kind of do what you will with it um and uh there's lots of opportunity within the field very cool so what is a what does a residency for wilderness medicine look like um, yeah, so the residency part is uh, for just medicine. So it's emergency oh, medicine. I see. You graduate medical school, you do you do a residency in emergency medicine. You're emergency medicine specialist, you know, or family medicine or OB/GYN, anything like that. And then uh, the one-year fellowship. Um, it's a pretty busy time if you, especially if you ask JD, our current fellow. Um, <laughs> but you you work uh, maybe about a half a clinical load, but there's a whole lot of time built in for learning and experiences. Um, so we're teaching a lot of medical students. Uh, we usually every year have an advanced wilderness life support course, one or two or three of them that we teach. Uh, we had a, a wilderness and austere medicine conference um, that we held last month, uh, the second year running. And then um, we get outside and do a lot of hands-on teaching. And most years, um, we're really hoping things turn around as everyone is with the COVID pandemic. But usually there's lots of travel involved and, you know, some expeditions and trips and training and things like that. And we're getting some of that in, but it's it's been a little limited this year. So we're around and um, we can go some places this spring. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. We were looking to spend uh, late fall looking at going up and doing uh paddling around the bay of fundy and stuff like that and it's just it's hard to get away now with everything going on oh no, um, yeah it's ridiculous but eh, it'll pass so right uh talk to me a little bit about looking for the bushcrafty stuff because that's kind of that yeah. you know in our field we don't run into a lot of uh you know pe most people have wilderness first responder certs but we don't run into a lot of doctors that want to come and learn learn the stuff we teach because we don't really think about it as uh uh, we think about it more as a way of living rather than like a skill that you would use in an emergency situation. So I'm curious about what brought you what brought you looking at Jack Mountain and School of the Forest. Yeah, so I mean that is that is interesting to think about it from that side of it. Um, um, you know, I, I kind of have a, a personal interest in it. We talked about this a little bit on our course, but you know the survival shows you see on TV. You know how real those are versus not real, and we won't get into that. But um, <laughs> I always have kind of an interest in this and kind of as an outdoor person, you know, I just kind of wonder um, with the whole concept of preparedness and I've done some research on this, but what do you need to bring in your pack? What are you prepared for? And then even if you have nothing, I mean, it comes down to your overall skills in the woods. Like if I have nothing, can I, can I start a fire? And if I'm going to be in the woods, I should, um, I feel like I should at least develop the skills to, you know, survive. Um, and then taking that and kind of marrying that with the fellowship we teach a lot of wilderness medicine but honestly if you're if you're practicing austere medicine in the woods 
that means you're resource limited and you probably don't have easy access to get to the hospital. So my thing is, I always say to the fellows is like, if you can't keep yourself alive in the woods, then what point is it to know wilderness medicine? You know, if you if you freeze on your first night out in the woods, then why do you why do you need to know how to take care of something longitudinally over the next two to three four days? Um, so with the fellowship, um, we just started this this year, and I hope this becomes like an annual uh, training for the fellow. Um, but we, we're all outdoors people, and I think if um, if you're going to be outdoors, you need to know how to take care of yourself. But I, I want this to be kind of an annual thing, and I think I can't speak for the other fellowships out there, but I'm not aware of any that have a formalized survival training in their curriculum. So I think it's um, we teach the medicine part of it, and I think part of it's just how to be a good outdoors person and take care of yourself. So I think there's a very good um, relationship between those two in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. I think that... Uh you know, because we we tend to go very cautious with stuff that we do on big trips and stuff like that, because because we don't have we don't want to get to where we have to, like you say, deal with stuff longitudinally and all that kind of thing. We want to kind of keep everybody keep everybody safe the whole time and not have to use those things. Um, but what I've noticed in the past is that the more, especially on long term programs, the longer people are out with us, the less worried we get about them because they've learned all these skills and we know that kind of even if something were to happen while they're out, um, they got it. You know, they, our students finish with big solos and stuff. And um, the I think the more you know about being out in the woods, the less risk you take. And mm -hmm. then you never get to the point where you have to do, you know, something. You know, you guys, when you were out here on this course, you spent the night in front of a line fire with no blanket, which is a great experience to have in a controlled setting. But if after doing that, I bet you're never going to forget a sleeping bag again, you know. Um, so you kind of learn to, like you said, I think that's where the preparedness comes from is having, having screwed up a couple times in some way, you know? Yeah. And you mentioned in the course, the biggest thing that you had seen with your long-term students, the people taking the multi-week course is that they, they see the outdoors as more of like a home rather than a foreign environment. Yeah. And I think that's where people come into trouble. If, if you've never been outside overnight by yourself or without a tent or a sleeping bag, the worst thing you could possibly do is be uncomfortable and freak out. So I think even just being an outdoors person and having that experience um, is very important. Yeah, so that kind of gets us into, you know, while you were on the course, you and I talked a lot about uh, the idea of like survival psychology. Um, and you had kind of mentioned an interest in doing a lot of research on that. And I'd be curious to hear, hear your perspective on it. Yeah, um, I think it's very, it's just a very interesting topic. Um, you know, just if something happens, I mean, you never want anything to happen, but if something happens to you or, you know, if something goes down and you're in a very bad situation, um, it's just as much about what you're carrying and uh, what you know is just your overall psychology and your outlook on things. So um, there's a great book, you know, we talked about uh, by a guy named Lawrence Gonzalez, Deep Survival, which talks about all of this stuff pretty in depth and has a, a lot of great stories and is a fantastic book for anyone that wants to, to read about that stuff. Um, you know, it's not fiction, but it, it moves like fiction. It's a super easy read and I have no affiliations with him. It's just an amazing book. Um, but you know, I, I always was interested in that. And I think that goes along with both medicine and, you know, the survival part of it. But along those lines, I, we did some research a few years ago, just on like of the modern essentials. Uh, people have probably heard of the 10 essentials of hiking and backpacking, just uh, items that you want to bring with you. And we had the question of like, does this really matter? How often it's really used? So we did a couple of studies down in the, the Mountain Monadnock area in New Hampshire for that. 
Um, and then uh, we, I, I got, uh, since my fellowship, I got into some mountaineering, um, nothing super intense, but some fairly, I guess, decent mountains, Rainier and Elbrus in Russia and, you know, some lower tech high altitude mountains. But I would see on these um, like trips that I would go on, usually with a big group of people, you know, five to 15 people. And, um, you know, like at high altitude, you're freezing, you're, you're hypoxic, uh, you have low oxygen levels and you just generally don't feel well. But I noticed on several trips that there would be very athletic, very capable looking people who looked like they were doing great. And then they would, something would happen. They'd just be like, I'm done. I'm not going any further. Or they'd get nauseous or sick or just all of a sudden they just quit. And like, you know, you look great. You just keep going. And then on other trips, sometimes the worst looking person in your trip with the lowest oxygen sats who just look like they're, you know, death walking, they, they <laughs> keep going and they summit and they do just fine. You know, so I started to think about like, obviously there's a mental component here because I'm seeing some super athletic people just quitting and failing and other people that probably should quit do a great job you know and actually <laughs> no no i should quit but um, <laughs> um i mean there are times you should but um people that yeah. i wouldn't be surprised if they did quit um kept going and they did fine so uh and i looked into that a little bit more and there's lots of studies out there on the medical physiology of um you know checking your auction levels and how you've acclimatized and all this uh physiologic stuff but I was pretty convinced that there was probably a, a huge mental component too. Um, so that to that end, we actually we've been trying to get to Mount Rainier, and we have a, a project um, set up to kind of check the personality profile and control for other variables and people that summit Rainier. Um, and it was supposed to happen last year, and unfortunately got uh, delayed through COVID and just no climbers. Um, but hopefully sure. that'll happen this summer. So what would be kind of the I mean, I know that the study hasn't happened yet, but what would be some of the indicators you would look for for that? Like, how do you how do you frame that study? Yeah. So, I mean, some reason that specifically for mountaineering, some reasons that people fail, you know, altitude sickness, like how how bad are you? Um, and there is a, a clinical kind of a scoring system for research where you can kind of control for that um, and we'll control for other things that have to do with success for, or failure, like have you acclimatized if you've been at altitude for three weeks previously you're probably going to be acclimatized and feel fine so we'll control for that there's some medicines you can take to prevent altitude sickness and we'll control for that so controlling for all these things um, we're going to give people a personality profile um, on the way up and then we're going to follow up with them on the way down and basically assess did you summit or not you know removing all those other variables and then um, breaking it down. So the personality profiles will ask things like, what are your levels of harm avoidance? What are your levels of reward? Um, you know, hmm. suffering, how much can you handle that? So other studies in the past have shown that some like climbers or other extreme athletes have certain characteristics like less, um, they're, you know, they're less kind of scared of consequence and things like that. So we're kind of see if there's certain uh, personality variables that are associated with success. Huh, that's really interesting because it for us we never really like tie we never tie per specific personality traits to it in a in a in a way that you could study but you know when people show up for trips and stuff you can kind of look and after a couple of years of doing it you can kind of say you're gonna i'm gonna keep an eye on you mm -hmm. um but you you're totally checked out you're ready to go you can you know even if you don't know anything about paddling you just ha you, there's something about you that lets me know mm -hmm. i think you're gonna you're just gonna power through it and i wonder I would be curious to see if that lined up with 
if my gut instinct lined up with the study that you're doing, or if I'm just totally off base and um, I'm just letting, I'm making myself feel correct uh, yeah. just from just from practice, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's super interesting. I wonder, have you seen a lot of other uh, studies about that kind of stuff? Like maybe not with mountaineering, but with other kind of like when people get into um, a, you know, a situation where, what was that, that really dumb move, 27 hours where the guy had his arms stuck, like where oh. situations like that, is there a lot of sort of survival psychology done, um, from a scientific standpoint about who makes it through stuff like that and who doesn't? No, I meant like, um, I, I'm not a, aware of a lot. I mean, I'm mostly in the, the mountaineering side of it. And there's been some studies about people trying to climb Everest, but you know, they're, they're, they're their own group anyway. You know, they're a <laughs> just being there trying to climb Everest makes you elite, you know, it's not, uh, but I'm not aware of a lot of, I mean, it's a very difficult thing to study. You know, a lot of these crazy, like, uh, I think that guy with the, he had to, I think he had to cut off his own arm or hand or yeah. something. Um, but that's like an isolated case and you can't really assess sure. them beforehand. You would only be able to assess them afterhand knowing that they already did that. And, um, so it's very difficult, I think, to assess that kind of stuff. Um, and there might be other stuff that I'm not aware of in the in the actual psychology world. Um, but from my standpoint, it's mostly mountaineering. And there have been some studies, certainly about personality profiles and extreme athletes and climbers and a couple with mountaineers, but but nothing specific. And it's interesting what you said, too, about just seeing your, your, your gut instinct, um, you know, on trips and stuff like that. And, you know, it's hard to say what your gut instinct is based off of. A lot of people might see a, a very small you know, fragile or very lightweight person and think that they may not make it, but they, they actually might. Um, but maybe there's other things that pique your gut interest, like maybe this person is like unwilling to carry a heavy bag because it's too hard, you know, just signs yeah. that they, they might have some little avoidance of, you know, hardship and things like hmm. that. Yeah, that's super interesting. I'll have to, yeah, I'm a habitual note taker, so I'm sure at some point I'll start writing down my observations of students and it'll feel even more like a weird little like uh, science experiment up at camp yeah. than it already does. Yeah, maybe um, we can pull something out that you can use. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe there's something there and uh, then I won't feel like it's a judgment. It's an actual, I based it on kind of looking at looking at those gut reactions. Yeah. And we don't, we don't want to make something where people get ruled out of trying unique new experiences but um you know like not only assessing who will make it the other aspect of this is if you could figure out who is going to maybe be a a dangerous failure or you know on mountaineering trips um if a person's high risk for failing and you're in the middle of an ascent somewhere i mean that's that's a lot of incurred cost possible search and rescue you know a whole bunch of potential um you know problems for the entire group as a whole rather than that, than that person just not making it themselves yeah. And it also, you know, you mentioned the sort of the financial aspect and the, um, you know, that they would have to be evac, but just from a group management standpoint, kind of mm. beforehand knowing um, potentially who are the people you need to maybe give a little more support to so that they don't, I mean, essentially, so the group doesn't have to either work together to evac them or turn on them halfway through because they're, they're slowing everyone down. So it'd be super interesting to, to kind of see how, yeah, just to see, it's, in my head, it's not only interesting to be able to say who potentially won't, will and who won't, it's also interesting to kind of see how, in that bigger group of people, 
how that person either gets accounted for by the group or doesn't get accounted for and gets turned on because that's, you know, that's kind of, that's what we see on long-term programs is that if there's somebody who's kind of moving slower, you need to give them a little more support so that the other, the rest of the group doesn't kind of start giving them a hard time and then they just get slower and slower and it's this whole, yeah, it's a really, that whole, like the group dynamic aspect of it is really fascinating to me. Um, and I don't have any answers to it. I just wonder if, uh, just wonder if you'd notice any of that as well during doing the studies. Yeah, I mean, there's always there's always the slowest hiker. You know, no matter you know, no matter no matter what group you're in, someone's got to be slowest. You know, it's just like they kind of <laughs> I don't know if I should say it, but, you know they kind of joke in medical school. What do you call the person that was last in the class? And as long as you're passing, it's a doctor. You know, so, <laughs> so you know, it's in any group, anyone, someone's got to be in the back and. You see that in um, you know hiking trips and mountaineering trips and stuff like that too. But sometimes it is a little tough because you you don't want to let them hang out back there and be alone and have you know additional risk. But it's it's tough because you don't want to you know you don't want to ruin your experience. Also, yeah. And I also kind of wonder if you could if you're doing whoops if you're uh, if you're judging um, based on which individuals will summit. I wonder what the study would look like. If you could see how people reacted to the slowest hiker, if that would indicate which oh, groups yeah. summit better, mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah, I just yeah, I just now I'm just kind of my brain's kind of going with this because oh. it's a super interesting thing. Definitely, uh, it's, it's always more. I mean, it's just less stressful if everyone in the group is about the same level. And I think yeah, it's because, and so, huh? That's interesting. Well, we're kind of we're kind of wrapping up what we got here, but I always like to finish these up asking about. Uh, you know, if, you know, you mentioned growing up in the Midwest and kind of having a sort of early, early love for the outdoors. But I'd be curious if you have one particular experience in, in the outdoors that sticks out to you. Um, I mean, in the Midwest, <laughs> not so much, you know, back, uh, yeah. back then I kind of got out. And the Midwest is a great place, but there's not a lot to do outdoors. Um, I don't know, I guess. There's lots of fun experiences I've had. Um, I guess one like poignant experience I had that was super interesting is where, um, yeah, I mean, I, I talk about this a lot and it must be for a reason, but it's it's going to sound so weird, but we're on like our climb up Mount Elbrus, which is one of the seven summits. And um, we're at our, our, our high camp, I think, which is like probably 13, 14,000 feet out of the, the 18 and a half that the mountain is. But there's this like the Cascade Mountains in Russia and Georgia are just probably the most beautiful mountain range I've seen. They're all, it's a very young range and very pointy, like picturesque mountains. But you have this whole range back here. And then behind the the lodge, which, you know, is a decent sized lodge fit 40 or 50 climbers and stuff like that. There's, there's an outhouse and it's like just sitting on the cliff. And um, it's basically surrounded by a drop on 270 degrees. And it's just got a hole. It's held up. It's held up by guy lines and it's, you just look out at it and it looks like an outhouse like floating in the, it's a terrible looking outhouse and it's like floating <laughs> in the middle of this like amazing range. And I don't even want to get into like the inside of the outhouse um, or seeing an Italian climber puke that late, late that oh. night. I just found it so interesting because I call it like the most beautiful outhouse I've ever seen, but it's actually the most beautiful outhouse location I've ever seen. Right. I found that interesting is that there's something so disgusting can be like so beautiful and um, I just found that really interesting and I know it's super weird, but, um, you know, I actually had that, a picture of that house like framed in my, my, in my bathroom for a few years. So oh, that's, that's great. I love stuff like that. Yeah, I know yeah, that's a, that's a ridiculous, 
it's ridiculous, but it's so it's so poignant, right? That it's like this yeah. this moment on trail where you see something that shouldn't be yeah. shouldn't be amazing to you, but just is for some some reason. Yeah, I like why, that. Yeah, why would why would you put that there? And the honestly, <laughs> pole is like a five hundred foot drop. So why would you do that? Oh, geez, that sounds. Yeah, yeah, I would love to know the mindset behind the person that was like, "Yeah, this is where this needs to be. This is the best spot for this." Yeah. And I'm sure you're probably totally looking for an entirely different type of story than that, but no, no, no. That's uh, they're always they're always interesting when I ask that question. Um, yeah, but that's great because that's yeah, it's it's better than like the typical the typical answer of oh well I went fishing and caught this beautiful trout. You yeah, know? I'll remember this story a lot more than that one, than the one about the trout. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I should have said is like I can think of a, a few times where I've stayed in huts, like with shelter, and I was actually a lot colder than I was on your course. So, <laughs> so uh, that's good. Well, that's yeah. Bag or shelter. Well, you know. Yeah, you. I think at at some point throughout that whole night that you guys were sleeping in front of the line fire, I saw at least I saw everybody out standing trying to cool down from being at least once yeah. which is which is a cool thing to experience right it was you know just a little bit below freezing and everybody's too warm which is a good problem to have in new england in the beginning of winter yeah it was great we all enjoyed it good well thanks very much for coming on nick um do you have anything else you'd like to like to say before we wrap up here or? um no i'm in I, I think it's uh, I, mean, I think I'll start listening to this podcast and we had a great time at your course and um, I think uh, I, I think survival skills is super important for anyone that's outdoors all the time and um, I think there's a lot of movement with a lot of the stuff we were talking about today with the psychology side of it yeah great well thanks again and uh, look forward to hopefully you guys coming out again sometime soon definitely I will do You've been listening to the School of the Forest podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope that if you did, you share it with a few friends. If you have questions or a topic we could cover, please let us know via email or in the comments below. You can more, learn more about the programming we offer at schoolofthefores.com. And lastly, if you like the show, please leave us a review. 